those of you who are out of town for the holidays, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, before we begin, I just want to say thank you for uh, everybody who was involved with our Christmas Eve service, um, with planning it. I mean, uh, Daniel and Sarah Rico had a lot to do with it, and Amy and Taylor, and um, that Christmas Eve service for, you, for those of you who were here was just awesome. It was just so good and encouraging. Um, and I just wanted to say when we had a little bit bigger crowd, thank you for everybody that was involved with making that happen. Um, Laura and Jessica, or uh, Jessica and Larry as well. Um, thank you, everybody. That was that was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I know it was a real blessing to a lot of people. So um, this morning, we are going to be starting off a brand new series. Uh, the series is called, How Did We Get Here? Uh, and basically, this series is going to walk us through the Bible and help us understand and develop our own biblical theologies. Biblical theology is one of those phrases that freaks people out because it sounds way too academic and sounds like it's something that not everyone does. But really, if we break it down, biblical theology means biblical means it's going to be based in the Bible. So we're going to walk through stories of the Bible, some of the highlights, some of the important parts, um, some of those things that stick out in the Bible. And theology just means study of God, right? Theo, God, ology, study of, study of God, okay? And so we're going to be developing our biblical theology. Every Christian is a theologian. Theologian is one who does theology. Every Christian, I don't care how much training you've had, I don't care how much schooling you've had, if you are a Christian, you are called to study God, to learn more about God. So everyone here has a theology. Everyone here is a theologian. And so my hope for this series is that we're going to understand, we're going to develop our understanding of the progressive history of God revealing himself to us. That is the plan for this series. Um, I think this is going to really help us as a community. You know, we can't really move forward until we understand where we've been, right? We've got to learn from the past. And so we're going to see, as we go through this series, how God has revealed himself in the past to his people as a way of guiding us as we try to reveal God to our neighborhood, to our neighbors, to our people we work with, to the people we go to school with. Um, and really, I wanted to do this series. I've been, Taylor and I have been talking about doing this series pretty much since I got here. Because I've wanted to do this series as a way, because I realize not everyone has a biblical background. Not everyone's grown up in church. Not everyone's gone to school um, for Bible, you know, for Bible studies. And so, I wanted to have us walk through the Bible and be able to kind of learn some of the names, some of the kind of the places, the important things that make up the history of what God has been doing, how God has been redeeming His people. Um, and so, I think this is going to be a really cool way for us to do that. Uh, there's going to be some other elements that we're going to bring into this series as we go along. Um, as far as learning not only how we got here through Scripture, but how we got here as individuals, as a community. Um, we're going to do some other cool things throughout this next couple of weeks to kind of help bring that to life. So we're going to have that going on as well. Um, and so if we're going to do biblical theology, if we're going to learn the story of God, we've got to start at the beginning. So we're going to be in Genesis 1 this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one one of the seatbacks around you. If you have trouble finding Genesis, Genesis means beginning. So open up the cover, flip past the table of contents and all of those pages, and then you get to Genesis. We're right at the beginning. So Genesis 1 is where we're going to be this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in uh, to our first sermon of this series. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, for getting us through another year, for getting us through 2015. And Lord, as we look forward to 2016, um, God, is our, our prayer, our desire to proclaim you, to make much of you uh, this year as we gather together as a community, as we live our lives as individuals. We, we pray that we might be able to learn much 
and reflect you to the world. God, as we enter into this series, as we start this new series, learning about how you are redeeming your people, revealing yourself to your people, God, I pray that we might learn more about you and let that affect and influence the way that we interact with the world around us. God, we thank you for what you have done in this place and what you continue to do. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, to understand this story, we've got to start in the beginning. So let's pick it up. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Okay, we've got to stop right there. And I know what you're thinking. If we're going to go four, verses, four words at a time, we're going to be in this series forever. You're right. Um, in the beginning, God. We've got to unpack that because there's a lot going on there. In the beginning, God. Now, the Bible doesn't start with, in the beginning, man. It doesn't start with, in the beginning, the earth was formed. It doesn't start with, in the beginning, everything was a united one. No. The Word of God, God's book about revealing himself to us, starts with, in the beginning, God. Everything comes from these four words. In the beginning, God. Everything finds its origin in these four words. And what we learn about God as he's revealing himself Scripture, we learn something about him right here. It says, in the beginning, God. So if in the beginning, God already was, that means he was there before the beginning. That means God has no beginning. God has no creator. In the beginning, God. God was already there. He has no creator. He was, he is, he will always be. The book of the Bible the story of God redeeming his people starts right off the bat. It does not hide or make you try and figure out who's the good guy in this book. It starts right at the beginning, God. He is the main focus of the Bible. It is in this phrase that everything else is based. In the beginning, God, everything else comes from that. We learn that there is one true eternal God, because here it does not say, the book doesn't start with, in the beginning, God's. It doesn't start with, in the beginning, God and the universe were one and the same. It says, in the beginning, God. Just one. He is set apart from everybody else. He is set apart from every other deity. He is set apart from any other religion. Our God is the one who starts everything. And if everything starts with God, if he's the main focus, if we're going to spend this series looking about how he reveals himself to us and how he calls and redeems us, you know what that means? If he's the main focus, you know what that means about us? We're not the main focus of the book. We're not the main focus of what we're doing here. Yes, we are important, right? We're going to see as, God, as we walk through the creation accounts that God sets humans apart, that we are different. We are made in the image of God. We have something special about us. Yes, that's true. But in relation to God, we are not the most important thing. You are not the most important thing. While we do have an important role, God is the main focus of the Bible. Who He is is the main focus. In the beginning, God. So in the beginning means that there was a beginning, right? We can all agree the earth was formed at some point. Life started at some point. We can all agree on that. So in the beginning means there was a beginning, and before that beginning, God existed. 
You and I are finite. You and I have a beginning and an end. We can only understand so much. We have a limited amount that we can understand. We have a limited amount that we can experience. But God, if he was there before the beginning, that means God is outside of time. That means the normal restrictions, the normal ways that we think through putting how to experience life doesn't apply to God. God is outside of time. And to be honest, I can't really fully understand that because time is such an important part of the way we think about things, right? What time do we have to get to work? What time is the game on? What time does Tim stop talking? All of these things, time controls so much of our life. And so then to say, well, God is outside of time. He has always been. That's one of those things that I I can't fully wrap my brain around totally. But what it shows us is that God doesn't have restrictions on us. He isn't bound by our concepts or our thoughts, right? Sometimes people like to talk, you know, the philosophy kids will like to talk and say, like, can God make a rock that's so big even he couldn't move it? That, like, that sentence has so many issues wrong and so many assumptions about what God can and can't do. We can't even have that conversation because God is outside of any type of our restrictions on who or what he can do. God is outside of time. He is outside of existence. He is the one who started everything. He is unrestricted and doesn't have the same boundaries and limitations that we do. In the beginning, God. When there was nothing, there was God. All right, we can keep going because I know we're four words in. In the beginning, God created. Stop. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created. The word for created there is bara. Say bara. Good job. Look at you. You know some Hebrew. Bara means to create, to form. Specifically, the word bara is to create something out of nothing. It is a word that is only and exclusively used in relation to God's creative power. Bara means to create something out of nothing. There's another word as we walk through the creation story that has to do with forming something, taking something that exists and turning it into something else. That word is asa. Say asa. Look at you. Two words. Boom. Asa means, so like if I were to take a seed, right, and I put the seed in dirt, and I water it, and it gets sunlight, and it gets all the nutrients, and that seed grows into a plant, a bush, a tree, whatever. What I have done is asa. I have taken something that already existed, and I've turned it into something else. We can asa. We can take the things that God has made, and we can form them into new things. We cannot bara. To create something out of nothing, that is a role that is exclusively God's. God can also asa. He can form and funk. He can form and change things. But the, the role of bara, the role of taking nothingness and making something, that is exclusively God's. And so it says, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God bara the heavens and the earth. There was nothing, and then there was something. It says, he created the heavens and the earth. This is a way of saying, this is a Hebrew phrase of saying, God created everything. 
right? It's like when we say, I'm freezing from my head to my toes. I'm freezing all over. Heaven and earth mean, heavens and earth means everything. God made everything. The stars, the planets, the galaxies, the angels, everything. At one moment, God created everything. And it's in this story. So we see God created everything. And then the Bible takes a little bit more of a focus approach. God focuses in on this one small, frail planet. Out of everything that he just made, out of all the galaxies, all the universes, the stuff that we can't even see, even in 2016 that we can't understand and grasp, he made everything. And then the Bible focuses in on this one small, frail planet that if it was so many degrees one way, we would all freeze to death. If it was so many degrees the other way, we would all burn up to death. This one small, frail planet that he is keeping in the exact right place, the Bible focuses in on. It focuses in on us. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The earth was without form and void. It was empty. It was lifeless. It was just floating in space. There was no form to it. There were no seas. There were no land masses. It was just there. Just kind of existed. So at some point, the earth was formed, and there was a beginning. We all agreed on this, right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where your background is. We can all agree we exist. There was a beginning to creation. Now, I want you to know that, you know, as we go through the Bible, as we study the Bible, and especially these first two chapters of Genesis, the Bible is not a science textbook. It was never meant to be a textbook, right? This is not a how-to manual on how to create. But I do think it's interesting that everybody, regardless of background, regardless of religious belief, the scientists even will say, yeah, creation happened. Things were created. Regardless of how you say creation happened, everybody agrees with this book that they all want to deny and all want to say is false. The Bible says, in the beginning, something happened, and there was existence. And everyone says, yeah, we believe it's, you know, for us, we believe it's God. Other people will say it's the Big Bang, different things. At the end of the day, we all agree, somebody pressed the start button. And that one who was outside of time, that one who was there to start everything, was God. So what have we learned about God so far? We've learned he's uncreated. He's there before the beginning. He is the only God. He is independent of anything else. He does not depend on anything or anyone for his creation, for his existence. And God has the power to create. The power to create something out of nothing. That's just a verse and a half. God is revealing himself to us through Scripture. We learned something else about God here in the second half of chapter, verse 2. So the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we see God creating. And we see the Spirit of God is there as well. Part of the creation process. Involved in the process of creating, the process of forming everything. If you skip down to verse 26 of chapter 1, it says, Let us make man in our image 
Let us make man in our image. God is talking there, and he's not just talking out loud to himself in the royal we. God is speaking. God the Father is speaking to the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit is speaking to Jesus, or Jesus is speaking to the Holy Spirit. They're having a conversation. We see in chapter 1 of Genesis that there is something else going on here, that we have one God, but there is God the Father, and now we have God the Spirit. And if you go to John 1, 1, you don't have to go there, I can read it for you. John 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we see that God is uncreated. We see that God is the only God. We see that he is independent of anything else. We see that God has the power to create something out of nothing. And now we see God is triune. God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each of those different parts of God were there at the beginning, creating, forming, shaping. And what is interesting to me about this is if God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are eternal. They've always been there. And Jesus has always been the Son of God. Right? There's never a time where he wasn't the Son of God. What that means is that God has always been a father. God has always been a father. This is not something he had to learn. This is not something he had to learn and figure out how to do. Here on earth, when men become fathers, we have to learn how to be a dad. That's not something God had to learn. That's always been part of his existence, always been part of who he is. He's a dad. So those fatherly characteristics that we're going to see as we walk through the story of the Bible, God protecting, God loving, God teaching, God training, God having to do some, some punishment, God having to do some discipline. Those elements of being a dad, God never had to learn. Those are just part of who he is. He is uncreated. He is the one true God. He is independent of anything else. He has the power to create something out of nothing. He is the triune God, one God in three parts, and he's powerful. He's so powerful that he speaks and things happen. Go to verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. When God speaks, things happen. There's an immediate reaction. He not only has the power to create something out of nothing, but when he speaks, there is an immediate reaction. Something immediately happens. When I was growing up, and my mom said, Tim, take out the trash. Give me five more minutes. Tim, take out the trash. Give me five more minutes. Timothy, I'm, I'm on it. Taking the trash out. It was not an immediate reaction, and that's more on me than my mom. I can say that because she's not here. But when God speaks, when the creator of all existence, when he speaks, things happen immediately. There's no delay. He has the power to speak into existence anything. And we see as we walk through Genesis 1, there's order to the way God thinks. There's order to the way God does things. The first three days of the creation, God is forming. He is asap. 
He is taking what is there, what he's already made out of nothing, and he's forming it. He's establishing separations. He's made, putting the sky and the earth and separating those. He's taking the dry land and the sea and separating those. He's putting the plants and the trees where they're going to go. He is forming. He's putting things in place. Because God is about order and about a certain kind of rhythm to it, days four through six. He starts putting the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. He puts the fish and the birds and the sea in the air. He puts animals on the land. He puts man on the land. There's an order and a rhythm to God's creative process. Not only in how he does it, but also why he does it and where things go. There's a thought. There's, there's intentionality behind the way God designs things. And we see, we saw it as he started to read. If you look in verse 9. It says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. God saw that it was good. So not only does God form, not only does he make something out of nothing, and then he forms and shapes that, God sees the things he's making, and he says, that's good. That was pleasing. It pleases him to form and shape this existence. It was pleasing to him to cultivate this little fragile planet to make it have the ability to have life on it, to shape it and form it so that we could inhabit it. It was pleasing to him to make it a place for us to live and thrive. The things he did, he saw them and said, that's good. This big, powerful, awesome God formed the land, formed the seas, put birds in the air, put fish in the sea and said, that's good. That's the way I want that to go. He has always been a father. And just like a father finds joy in building a bike for his kids on Christmas Eve so they can open it on Christmas Day, just like a father finds joy in putting together a treehouse for the kids, God is forming something for us. Not only does what he makes good, but he makes it good and has a purpose, and that purpose is for us to rule over. There is order, there is function, there is structure. All of these things are pleasing to God. And I think this is a good point. You know, we're talking about creation. We're talking about how things got started. And Genesis 1 and 2, probably more than almost any other chapters in the Bible, are the ones where people have issues, right? People have things where they say, really, did that happen that way? People are going to raise questions about creation. It's awesome. It's an awesome story. It's an awesome account of how things happen. People are going to have questions about it. And so when we talk about creations, these issues are going to show up. And so I want to address some of the things, some of the critiques about the creation accounts. I want to address some of those this morning. Um, but before we do that, I want to put things into perspective. I want you, everybody, take, if you still have your Bible, Take your Bible, and I want you to hold the piece of pa- the hold the page or pages. Mine is on two and a half pages. Hold the page or pages that the creation accounts have happened. Genesis one and two. Take those and put them in your fingers. Have I got it? Good. Okay. Now look at how little you're holding in comparison to the rest of the book. Look how much more there is about what God has to say to you about how God is revealing himself to us. How much more there is for him to teach us. How much more there is for him to show us how much he loves us. Show us who he is. 
So like I said, we're going to talk through some of the issues, some of the thing, questions that get raised about the creation account. And I'm happy to do that. But ultimately, I don't think that this story, that this account of how creation started, I don't think it's here for us to try and dissect. I think it's here to reveal to us who our God is. How he formed everything and reveal more about who he is and how much he loves us. The famous uh, inventor and scientist Galileo once said, the Holy Spirit intended to teach us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens are supposed to go. So with that in mind, like I said, I want to I tackle a few of the issues or critiques of the creation account. Because we have to learn, you know, it's not just enough to know the Bible, but it's good to know the questions people raise about the Bible so you can speak into them. Um, so the first one is, if you read the creation accounts, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, and you read ancient uh, writings that happened at the same time, stuff from the Babylonian era, stuff, stuff from other parts of the Middle East, um, some Greek mythology, if you read some of those things, you will see similarities. You will see elements of what we have in the Bible in these different accounts. Um, the Epic of Gilgamesh, for one, has a lot of different similarities. Um, and so you might think, well, if they're all the same, then maybe the Bible isn't really true. I mean, if they're all there, what's the difference between us and everybody else? It's actually those differences. It's those elements that are different about our creation account that are the important ones. And it doesn't make, just because we might share elements of our story with other stories, doesn't make ours any worse. It doesn't make ours any less true. But I think it's the differences that are the key. Because like I said, we have one ultimate eternal God in control of anything, everything. There are other accounts that you can read that have creation happening because gods were fighting. And there's one account where two gods are fighting. One god slices the other god in half. Out of the insides of that god, stuff, matter happens, and then poof, there's life, creation. There's no order to that. There's no form. There's no function. It's just this cosmic accident. But in our story, we have order. We have function. We have intent, intentional intellectual design. Like I said, this, this planet is fragile. It's frail. A few degrees one way or the other and there is no life here. I refuse to believe that poof it just happened to land the way it did. You are here intentionally. Existence exists intentionally. There are other accounts that most of them have to do with war, have to do with the fickleness of the gods, whereas our account of creation says, no, there's one true God, there's no war, there's no anyone trying to rise up against him, and that's how creation started. No, God is intentional and loves and has a plan and a purpose for creation. Another critique of the big critique, probably, of the creation accounts is, was it literally six 24-hour days? Did it really go down that way? Was it literally actually six 24-hour days? I wasn't there. I don't think any of you were there. So we can't know absolutely for sure. It's probably on, you know, it's a list of things we can ask God when we see him in heaven. There are lots of different interpretations of how to take Genesis 1 and 2, how to take these accounts and actually try and understand them. Um, one theory is the day-age theory. 
in which it says basically each day, so we read in verse 9 where it's, there's morning and evening the first day. So basically each day represents an undisclosed period of time until the next day happens. So each day is a certain amount of years, minutes, whatever, and then the next day is a certain amount of, it's an age, it's not an actual day. The reverse of that, there's another idea that says it was six 24-hour days, but there's huge gaps of time in between that. So the first day happens, and then there's X amount of time. It could have been 20 minutes. It could have been 472 years. We have no idea. And then there's another 24-hour day. That's another theory. There's a theory that's the revelation theory. This one I found the most interesting, that the creation account, the creation didn't happen in six 24-hour days. This theory says that Moses, who wrote Genesis, was told by God about creation over the course of six days. Like, God just gave him six, like a 24, six 24-hour day long lecture about this is how creation happened. Um, there's another theory that's the literary theory that basically says the creation account is uh, more of an allegory. It's a metaphor. It's there to teach us things, but it's not actually the way it was supposed to happen. Um, and then there's the 24-hour theory, where it happened in six 24-hour days. Uh, me, personally, I stand in the six 24-hour days. Um, there's lots of other theories out there. These are just some of my favorite. But, and you can land in any one of them. I know Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians who land in some of these camps. One of my best friends is in the literary camp, and we go back and forth about this all the time. You, that's okay. We can have those debates. You can have those discussions. It's not the thing that decides whether or not you are a Christian, whether or not you are saved. Me, personally, I land in the six literal 24-hour days, and here's why. Um, so each day, like we saw in verse 9, it says uh, there was evening, there was morning the first day. Evening and morning is a Jewish way, a Hebrew way of saying daytime. It was, it's a full day. That's, that was part of their vernacular. It was part of the way they spoke at the time. Um, couple that with the fact that he numbers each day. That, to me, is very intentional. Um, the other reason that I believe it's six 24-hour days is later on when we'll see that uh, the Israelites get the law, get the Ten Commandments, right? We all know, you know Moses comes down with the two tablets, and in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Not only is that part of the law, but it's part of the rhythm of life for God's people was they would work for six days and then for an evening and morning they would rest. Um, and ultimately, it's what the text says. In general, right, we don't read each book of the Bible the same way. There's books of poetry. There's books of history. There's books that are metaphors. There are books that are allegories. There are parts of times, you know, Jesus talks, and he talks in a parable. A parable is, you know, a story, right? It's not history. So we have to read different parts of the Bible liter or differently. In general, unless there's a real good reason not to, I tend to land on the more literal side. If it says it's six 24-hour days, that's what I'm going to take it as. Um, like I said, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to be in that camp. That's cool. 
you have a big issue with that, pastortimcf at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. We can talk about it. Uh, but that's where I land. Um, the last issue, the last critique of Genesis 1 and 2 that I want to touch on is the fact you have Genesis 1, it's 31 verses, and it's a big detailed account of how creation happened. And then you have Genesis 2, another 25 verses, I think it is. And it kind of talks about creation, but it seems different. And so if there's two creation accounts, why do we need two? Maybe it means that one of them isn't right. Maybe it means that neither of them are right. Why would we need two? Um, really, some are going to argue that those are two different stories. It's not that it's two different stories. Genesis 1 and 2 complement each other. It's telling the same story from two different angles. Okay? Genesis 1 gives us this big, wide-scope picture. And it's building up to something. It's let there be light, let there be land, let there be seas, fish, birds, animals. And then the climax of Genesis 1, man is created. Man shows up. God sets apart man to be special. Genesis 2 gives us a little bit more narrow picture, focusing on the creation of man and God's relationship with him. It'd be kind of like if I told you, in 2015, I worked for Christianity Today, and then I became the pastor of Christian Fellowship Church. And then I said, here are all the different ways. This is how I went about becoming pastor of Christian Fellowship. The emails, the phone calls, the interviews, the meetings, all that kind of stuff. Those two stories complement each other. One is abroad. This is what my 2015 was. The other is, this is how I became pastor. Right? Same story, two different views. That's what we have going on in Genesis 1 and 2. Same story, different angles. There are all kinds of other people who want to critique and poke, try and poke holes in what's going on in Genesis 1 and 2. This morning, we are here to worship God, to learn more about him, and to learn how he is revealing himself to us. And in looking at creation, we see that God is alone in his role and authority. There is no other God like him. He is not dependent on anything or anyone for his existence or his survival. He alone has the power to create something out of nothing. And he is so massive. He is so grand. He is so big that there are elements about his existence, about who he is, that we can't understand. The fact that time does not affect him or restrain him. The fact that he is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three parts. There are elements about who he is that are so big that just because of the fact that we are created beings, we can't understand them here fully. And yet despite all of this, despite his grandeur, despite his power, despite the fact that he has all of this going on, he made you. He knows you. You were made by this same God. He thought of you. He formed you. He has a plan for you. He knows you and he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That after sin enters the world, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, there's corruption, there's violence, there's death, there's pain. He sees all of that happen, and he loves his creation so much that he would send his son to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. This big, important, grand, powerful, awesome God knows you and loves you and sends his son to die for you. You are important to him. You are special to him. And we know this from verse 26. 
In verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're going to talk about what that means next week. We're going to talk about what it means to be made in the image of God next week. Right now, this is how I want to close out. I want you to close your Bibles. I'm going to read the Genesis account. I want to read Genesis 1. What I want you to do, close your eyes if you can do it without sleeping. I want you to just think about it. Just dwell on Listen to the Word. Listen to this big, massive, awesome God create all of existence. And as you think about it, as you picture, what does that mean? What does it mean for there to be nothing and then there be something? What does it mean for him to speak and light showed up? When you are imagining that, when you are thinking about that, I want you to then come back to the fact that that same God knows you and loves you. He sees all that you are, all that you could be. He loves you. Despite the sins that you might have committed, despite the things going on in your life, and the times where you rebel, and the times where you intentionally make the wrong choice, despite all of that, He knows you, loves you, sent His Son to die for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate from the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. And the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night. And to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening. And there was morning. Fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above, the fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarms according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. 
And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning. The fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the earth, on the ground, according to its kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have for them food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every plant, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, as we read about how you put things into motion, how you started everything, God, we thank you for the intentionality. We thank you for the form and the function of it, for the order. And we thank you that you are a God of order, not a God of chaos, not a God of war, but a God of love and of peace. Lord, we thank you for giving us this place, giving us this earth. Lord, as we study you, God, I pray that you continue to show up to us. As we seek after learning more about who you are, I pray that you continue to show us who you are. Remind us of how big and awesome you are. Remind us of how grand and glorious and powerful. In fact, you speak and there is life happening. God, remind us that even in the midst of all of that, you know us. God, you know me. You know my faults. You know my struggles. You know my sins. And yet you still call me yours. You still call us your sons and daughters, even though we're beaten and we're broken. God, you saw what happened to this world, how sin entered. And then you saw and had a plan for that too, a plan to send your son. God, we thank you for creation. We thank you for what it reveals about you. We thank you for the cross, for sending your son to die for us so that we might have right relationship with you. Thank you for who you are and what you have done and what you continue to do. Amen.